Welcome to our podcast. I am Linda Messer. My husband Ron and I invite you to join us in our weekly broadcast of A New Voice of Freedom. Welcome to Season 3 of A New Voice of Freedom. The podcasts are taken from the four volumes In Defense of Christianity, written by Ronald Keith Messer. Podcast 235 is entitled, What is Real? Part 5, Ariel C., The Fall of Man 2, Assumptions 27-32. through 32. This podcast is Part 2 of The Fall of Man. If you haven't listened to Podcast 234, May I recommend that you listen there first because it lists the first 11 assumptions of the fall as presented in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. In this podcast, I shall continue with Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve have eaten of the fruit. They hid from the Lord. The Lord is questioning them. It is ironic that the Lord asked Adam and Eve something he already clearly knows. But confession is one of the first principles of repentance. As with so many things, the Lord uses our first parents to set the standards for us all. Adam and Eve must individually confess their transgressions to the Lord. And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. We see how human Adam and Eve are. Adam blames Eve. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. Adam blames Eve. Eve blames the serpent. Does that sound familiar? The devil made me do it. But all three, Satan, Eve, and Adam, are each held accountable for their own behavior. The temptations of Satan do not excuse Adam and Eve from personal accountability. Neither does that excuse us from personal responsibility. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. The first curse Lucifer received with all those who followed him was to be cast out of heaven. The Savior said to his disciples, Luke nineteen eighteen, And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Not only was Satan and his angels cast out of heaven, but they were also denied physical bodies forever. That is why they want to possess our bodies. They even preferred swine over nothing. Now, a very important thing occurs. Satan in heaven was a very powerful angel. On earth, he is far more powerful than we are. However, he received a specific curse. First, without a physical body, even the cattle are better off than Satan. But the greater curse is that his power is significantly attenuated. God places enmity between Eve and her seed, and Satan and his angels. Synonyms for enmity are hostility, hate antagonism, animosity, and rancor. The seed of the woman, of course, refers to her posterity, meaning all of us. All the posterity of Adam and Eve who choose Christ over Satan will hate Satan and all that he stands for. 
Then he gives the greatest curse of all. Satan can only bruise our heel, but we have the power to bruise Satan's head. Satan may trip us up, but because the wisdom of God is greater than the cunning of Satan, we can outsmart him. In other words, if we hearken unto the counsel of God, Satan will not be able to deceive us. We will see through his wiles. Remember the Apostle Peter's words. 1 Peter 5, 6-10 Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. Though we are called upon to suffer in this life, we have a promise that God will strengthen us against the power of Satan. Consider the words of Paul. 1 Corinthians 10.13 There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Those words should bring comfort to anyone, even though suffering from addictions. In Christ, everyone has hope. Faith first and then hope. That leads us to a very important assumption. 27. With the help of Christ, we have the power to resist the temptations of Satan and overcome the power of the devil. When life becomes so unbearable that we want to give up, we should remember that with Christ, all things are possible. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Eve, who was the first to succumb to the temptations of Satan, is not excused from personal responsibility. Because of the law of agency, God still held her accountable for her decisions. We learn from the story of the fall that Satan and his angels are real. Their power is real. But we have agency to follow Christ or to follow Satan. That leads to another assumption. 28. We are all held accountable for our sins. The Lord then turns to Adam. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. Adam, like Eve, is held accountable for his own choices. It is also a vivid image of mortality, including death. Adam is reminded that he is made of dust and will return to dust. The Lord is teaching us all that we are insignificant compared to God. One is reminded of Isaiah's words. 
For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. The vivid imagery of the Holy Scriptures constantly astonishes me. It is light years from one star to another, imagine traversing a galaxy. Now imagine the distance between earth and the throne of God. A light year represents how long it takes for light to travel in a year. Light travels at 186,282 miles per second, the fastest thing in the universe. In a year, light travels, but you get the point. God is omniscient, and his mind is billions of light years above our own. I suppose Isaiah's message is that it would be a good idea to take God's advice. But returning to the curse of Adam, the fall brought death into the world. For dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. Not only were we cut off from the presence of God, thus suffering a spiritual death, but we were also cut off from our own spirit, suffering a physical death. That is why the role of Christ in our lives is essential. Christ did two things for us. One, he overcame spiritual death. The fall brought about the separation of all of us, not just Adam and Eve, from God. That is what spiritual death means, to be separated from God forever. Christ made it possible for us to overcome spiritual death and return to the presence of our Father in heaven. The fall also brought about physical death, where the spirit is separated from the body. Without the resurrection, we would remain spirits forever and be no better off than we were before. Christ overcame physical death and spiritual death. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he suffered for us all, bleeding from every pore, thus paying for our sins and satisfying the law of justice, making it possible for us to return to live with God. On the cross and in the tomb, he overcame physical death making it possible for us to be resurrected with an immortal body, which will never return to dust. We will be as immortal as Christ himself, and if we keep the commandments, our resurrected body will shine like the sun. The Savior himself said, Matthew thirteen forty three, Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Those who shine forth like the sun will be those who are perfect even as their Father which is in heaven is perfect. Without mortality, without death, and without the resurrection, we could not have a perfect resurrected body and become like our Savior. That is why it is called the plan of salvation. Life is a journey. I love to repeat the following image. Earth is the hinge upon which eternity swings. Without life on earth, we would have remained as spirits forever. Though the price of life on earth is high and very difficult, the rewards are so much higher. It would be a blessing if we all keep John 3.16 in the forefront of our minds. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John 3.16 makes it clear that Christ carried out the will of the Father in all things. It is also clear that the Father is as involved in our salvation as the Son, and His love is as great as the Son. But He puts all the responsibility upon His Son, for only Christ, being mortal, can sacrifice Himself for our sins. Let's return to the Garden of Eden, because that is where it all began. 
The Garden of Eden was necessary for our progression. And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Evolutionists may make what claims they make. We don't have all the details of creation. Science's greatest achievement is in teaching us the temporal laws of this world. The debt we owe to science is immeasurable. But as Christians, Christ is our Creator and our Redeemer, and it was foreordained that Adam and Eve be the father and mother of mankind. That leads to another vital assumption. 29. We are all children of our Father in Heaven, brothers and sisters equal in the eyes of God, but we are mortal descendants of Adam and Eve. Nothing, especially skin color, should be allowed to divide us or turn us against one another. Unto Adam, also to his wife, did the Lord God make coats of skin and clothe them. It appears that the Lord was not entirely satisfied with the fig leaf. He clothed them with coats of skin, a more modest apparel. The assumption is rather transparent. 30. We should always dress modestly. But there's another very important assumption. The Lord refers to Adam and Eve as man and wife because he joined them together and never meant for them to be separated. 31. Marriages are intended to last forever. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us, to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand, and take also of the tree of life, and eat, and live forever. Knowledge of good and evil is a godlike trait. Without partaking of the forbidden fruit, the eyes of Adam and Eve would never have been opened. They would have remained forever in the Garden of Eden without knowing happiness or misery, because there was no opposition. They would have lived in ignorance forever. Leaving the Garden of Eden was the only way to receive a fullness of joy. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. The tree of life was not the same tree of life spoken of by John the Revelator. The tree of life spoken of by John refers to the pure love of Christ. The tree of life in the Garden of Eden was limited to one thing. It allowed the physical body to live forever. Before they ate of the forbidden fruit, they had bodies of flesh and bone, but they were not mortal. The tree of knowledge of good and evil is, of course, symbolic of experience in earth life. But the actual tree was real with real fruit. Probably not the apple tree, but who knows. It caused a chemical change to come over their bodies that led to death. Apparently, the tree of life had the power to restore their mortal body back to the immortal state. That is why they were cast out of the Garden of Eden, and that is why God placed cherubims and flame and sword, which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Before the fall, they could eat all they wanted of the fruit of the tree of life. Only the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil was forbidden. Only after they ate of the forbidden fruit were they barred from the tree of life. That was the greatest act of mercy God had shown to both Adam and Eve and to all of their posterity. Remember, in their fallen state, they suffered two deaths. One was spiritual death and the other was physical death. The tree of life only had power to restore the effects of physical death. It did not have the power to overcome spiritual death. That means that if Adam and Eve had eaten of the fruit of the tree of life after eating the forbidden fruit, they and all of their posterity would have lived forever under the power of Satan, 
never been able to live with God again. Christ could not redeem them because without death, he could not bring about the resurrection. That leads us to a final assumption relating to the Garden of Eden. 32. Death and the resurrection are essential to the plan of salvation. Thank you for listening. Watch for our next podcast.